0: 836 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ it really does make you you appreciate what the people in Puerto Rico m- must be going through no power still to 80 percent of the island going on a few weeks I mean again it's last night as I was just telling Jane and Jean I'm, I'm sitting at, at my house and it's about 8 30 at night and it's a rainy night and I'm watching the usa men's soccer team kind of spit the bit losing to a, a 99th ranked team in the world and i'm watching this and all of a sudden it's about 8:30 at night and i hear from somewhere outside what sounds like a massive explosion boom not boom but boom and all of a sudden the lights immediately go out no flickering the lights just go out and i figure this does not sound like it is good and so the dog is freaking out so i'm you know, gather her up and I go outside and across the street, the lights are all on. But in my block and the block to one east of me, the lights are off. I walk around to the street behind me, right in that street immediately behind me. The lights on one side of the street are off. They're off, but they're on on the other side. I'm thinking, hmm, this isn't good. And Kind of call We Energies and they say, "Oh, you're the first one to report this, and we'll we'll notify you on the status." That's about eight thirty. I get a call one of these robocalls at nine, saying, "Yeah, we're we're working on this. Power will be back on by 10 And ten comes and goes, and it's not on. Then I get a call back saying, "Power is going to be on by eleven thirty. More extensive damage, and uh, power wasn't on at eleven. It came on about two thirty in the morning, and and that's other than kind of screwing up your evening a little bit. It, it's not the end of the world, but it did, you know, just going even without power. Now the lucky thing is it wasn't that cold last night so you're not stuck in this like freezing house and all. But even, it's amazing how how much we depend on power. Just you know, even being without power for five or six hours or whatever, it seems like it's an eternity. Is this ever going to come on? You know, what's worried about the freezer, and then of course, as I'm wandering around the house, you go up to go to the bathroom, and it's like I, I instinctively I walk into the bathroom. I'm carrying a flashlight, flick on the lights. Oh yes, the lights aren't going to work because the power is not on. But it is amazing how, again, even just just a few hours. You know, seems like an almost eternity. We're, we're so used to, you know, depending on the electricity to always be there. I can only imagine what it's like for these folks who are looking at weeks and weeks and weeks of, of no no power and no running water and all. And it really, you can understand why it would be a humanitarian crisis. Okay. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one comes from the world of sports. As I said before, the power went out. I was watching the the final uh, World Cup qualifier game. Now, I got into soccer a few years ago. What 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 happened was I would go to um, I'd go to the gym early on Saturday mornings. And you'd look for something to watch. And early Saturday mornings, they show the English Premier League games. You know, there's a six-hour time difference or seven hours, whatever is between here and and, and England. So I ended up getting into watching that. So now I have become, to the annoyance of many of my friends and family, I've become sort of a soccer fan. I watch this. So I'm paying attention to the World Cup. The World Cup is... It is it is the Super Bowl. Matter of fact, it is the Super Bowl on steroids. They have it only. I think it's every three years, and teams qualify for this. Some teams really have a struggle trying to qualify for the World Cup because they play in these very very competitive. The regions are based on, on geography, and they play in these very very competitive regions where all these different you know national teams are really really good. The, the United States has really not been in that situation to qualify for the the World Cup. They're playing teams from, with the exception of Mexico, nations that are much, much smaller than than ours. They're playing Honduras and Costa Rica and Panama and Trinidad and Tobago. Those are the teams. And so the U.S., has a much easier qualifying process because, you know, they're not slugging it out with some of the big European, you know, countries or some of the South American countries that specialize in soccer. And the U.S. team has qualified for the World Cup, which is a huge deal. This year it's going to be in Russia. They've qualified um, for every World Cup since 1986. So last night... they go into it is the final game and the way it works out because they lost games earlier on that they shouldn't they lost to Mexico they lost to um, I think Panama as well they lost to Costa Rica and they lost to Mexico early on so they're in a situation yesterday where to qualify for the World Cup they pretty much all they need to do is tie all they need to do is come down with, with a tie they are playing Trinidad and Tobago the 99th ranked team in the world. The 99 ranked team. Uh, Trinidad had lost its sixth straight game last week. And all they need to do is they need to tie. Now, they shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place, but but they did. So they go out there yesterday and just played a terrible game, fell behind two nothing, scored one goal, but but never caught up. And so now for the first time since 1986, they are on the outside looking in. This is a nation of 360 million people. Soccer is a game that, well, while I don't know that it would be fair to say it has replaced baseball um, as the national pastime or that it's anywhere near as popular as football, the truth is kids play soccer now. Um, I mean, can I see a show of hands? I mean, who has kids and, and who plays soccer? That's, that is the game, more so than baseball, more so than football, Everybody plays soccer, and that while it hasn't necessarily translated into huge TV ratings yet, it is certainly a game where lots of attention is paid, lots of people are playing, and yet in a country of 360 million, you cannot come up with a team that can beat teams from Costa Rica or Trinidad. All right four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line I know a lot of times we talk about politics and crime issues, but I think this is a huge issue from the world of sports because this is this is something that really I think says a lot about the nature of sport in the United States that a country our size cannot field a soccer team which is capable of getting through which uh, sex getting through. What many people think is the, the easiest World Cup qualifier in the world. And this is a huge blow, number one, to national prestige. Number two, again, in the world of sports. And, and number two, not only a blow to national prestige, but it's it, it's going to economically hurt the soccer programs. We're I mean, going to have the World Cup, and the U.S. isn't going to be part of it because this soccer team sucked. 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What are we doing wrong when it comes to figuring out how to compete in this game on a world level? And I understand it's a bigger deal in South America. It's a bigger deal across most of the world. But still, you're losing to Trinidad, for goodness sakes. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Your generosity has helped our WTMJ Cares Initiative raise hundreds of thousands of dollars in recent years for causes close to the heart of so many in our community. Now you have a chance to help out children with emotional or physical needs who find therapy and healing on horseback. Rides and Rains Therapeutic Riding Center in the town of Polk is in danger of closing its doors without our help. Go to WTMJ.com for details and keep listening for more info on this remarkable cause and what you can do to keep it alive through WTMJ Cares, sponsored by First Bank Financial Center. And I wanted to say a real special thank you. Jane, this is Jane Matanera's pet project. Um, She feels very passionately about it. You know, She appeared on the program about 9.35 and... Um, We we, you you contributed. We raised a quick two thousand dollars right following her appearance and long way to go. But uh, we're getting there. I think they're up to like eight thousand dollars now. So um, thank you for your generosity. 414-799-1620. Huge, huge blow to U.S. prestige in the world of sports last night. The U.S. men's soccer team failed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time since 1986 by losing a game to trinidad it wouldn't have come down to this but they had lost other games as well we have a country of 360 million people and you can't they can't compete in what would have been actually their region is the easiest i think world cup qualifier in the world and they couldn't they couldn't get out of it what's going on here let's start with crystal in glendale crystal you're first good morning Good
1: morning. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thank you. But I'm a soccer fan, and I'm frustrated that they Me stunk too. up the joint. Yeah.
1: I love soccer. I love soccer. I was raised watching soccer and cricket. Huh. My family is from the Caribbean. I am Afro-Caribbean descent. So, yes, soccer is oxygen to us. I just think that with, with the United States, uh, that investment just hasn't been made.
0: Okay, when you I say mean, investment, what do you mean?
1: Um, well for for years for decades it's been football and basketball and hockey and baseball and all the intention and all the investment and in talent has been in those sports mm-hmm. i mean even at the younger ages it's one of those one of the big four but very little attention has been paid to soccer so even though soccer dominates globally it's still we're still you
0: know the united states is still kind of new to soccer Mm-hmm. so i mean i guess but you know but but still while you, you're, you're right it's new to soccer but all kids play i mean not all kids but most kids play soccer i mean my 10 year old nephew's been in youth soccer my my niece went through that you know they play at the high school level they play at the club level i mean i i go to these soccer games but, on on saturday i mean kids are playing all over
1: yeah but that's I would say that is a new that's a fairly new trend. That's with that's within the last twenty years, maybe last twenty five years. But when you think about that, think about you sound you seem to be my age. When you think about that, when you think about thirty five years ago, forty five years ago, it was football, hockey, basketball, sure baseball. It was one of those four, even for the girls, because girls if the girls didn't play baseball, they played softball.
0: Right. So you, you just know, think so we haven't, we haven't, we just don't have the infrastructure to compete with some of these these big teams in the world,
1: right? Yeah, because it's global When you think about globally, especially in the Caribbean, I mean, gosh, soccer right. is dominant. Right. Europe, soccer is dominant. You know, now, granted, we got it made when it comes to the big four, right? You know, but because if you look at the Olympics, you know, we're going to medal in right. one of those sports. On, a, on the on the Olympic level, but soccer, uh, right. you know, even tennis, there there are people who played more tennis coming out of America than right. soccer.
0: Well, well, Crystal, I, whatever the solution is, I, I'm into soccer. My, my wife will be pleased to know, though, that I haven't gotten into cricket like you talked about. Cricket is the one I still don't get, but I, <laughs> they, 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 I think, thanks for that. I'm not sure I'm ever going to get that. I mean, I, I understand that. That's one I... I I tried watching cricket once, and I thought, no, the last thing I need is some other sport to watch on television. If my wife is listening, she'll be saying amen to that. Chad in Milwaukee. Chad, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Good morning. So uh, my thought is, you'll hear a lot of this on the punditry and everything, the term pay to play. Um, I think we are not investing enough to to make soccer accessible to lower income uh, families, the inner, the inner cities, um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: normally it's the suburbs, you know, the soccer moms and stuff like that, and they're paying 2000 to $3,000 a year to have their kids be in soccer clubs. Right. And there's no inner city programs or no, no anything. I mean, there's a reason why basketball is so prevalent in the inner city, because it's cheap and it's accessible. There's hoops. There's every, right. everywhere around. But then you, have, you don't have, like, soccer, soccer fields. You don't have, like, you have soccer needs to invest in these things.
0: Right. So you think, I mean, it's, but, but, I mean, in, now in other countries, though, you have Trinidad, for example. I mean, you have basketball hoops. It's the same sort of thing. But, but soccer is still the driving thing, as it is in most places in the world. You just don't think it's, we're, that they're doing a good enough job to reach out to young athletes to get them in the program.
2: No, I mean it's not accessible. There, you know, we need clubs, and we need, you know, like all these MLS teams need to have academies, in right. Inner cities, developing youth, developing those in the yeah. in the, the the underprivileged homes. That, the
0: right. Well, right. It, it, we're, right we've stuff. got the athlete. No, thanks. For, no, I mean, uh, right. I mean, we're, we're now you have the recruiting structure for football and baseball, and I think there is something to that. I, I think there is also something. To to the cost. I mean, one of the things that I'm stri- and I'm just I'm, I'm on the periphery looking in. I, I mean, like I say, my my niece played soccer, you know, pretty much till she got to high school. My nephew is going through like the the club levels, but it really is to the point where. Um, for the for the better athletes, um, you you have to you know, you got to participate on the club level, and and there is a buy in. I mean, there's you know there there is a a cost that goes on with this. So I mean, I'm sure that weeds out a lot of kids as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Joel in Burlington. Joel, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ.
4: Morning. Um, hey, I just one perspective. The last caller talked about the academies and the pay to play and everything, and um, I think just like. With just about anything else, especially you know politics or anything like that, it really is about following the money. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, they said that uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, the governing body, made forty-six million dollars off the gold off the Copa America last summer, so they had a surplus of a hundred million dollars. Right. And it still costs. I mean, I have st- I have players on my team right now that pay anywhere from five. My high school team that pay anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars a year to play for a club soccer team. And it still costs coaches anywhere from fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars to get their professional coaching licenses. I truly don't understand why it's so expensive to develop players and coaches in a country that's as wealthy as ours, with as many players as we have around the country playing yeah. soccer.
0: Yeah, see, and I guess that's the thing that, that just amazes me as well. I mean, I, I I understand what everybody's talking about about we don't have the the, the history in soccer, and it's not as big a deal in, in the United States as it is, you know, across the world. But still, I keep coming back. We are a nation of 360 million people. It's just yeah. amazing to me that, given the size of that, you're you no offense, but you're losing and you're losing badly to teams, you know, from, from Trinidad and Costa Rica and Panama. Just the sheer size of the United States would think that you could, you know, have better athletes because you're drawing from a larger pool of people.
4: It's very frustrating because it really seems like, for all the money and for the number of people that we have, that player pool there really doesn't seem like a clear plan. I mean, you got a country like Iceland with a population of less, I mean, there was a stat last night that Iceland has a population less than Corpus Christi, Texas. And they just qualified for the World Cup for the first time. They went to the quarterfinals of the European Cup last year. I mean, it's a tiny little country, and they have a clear plan for getting to these sorts of tournaments.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but but last night was a huge e- embarrassment. Now, Andy makes a good point. She writes and says, I feel like the other problem is that young athletes don't want to play soccer because there's no money in soccer. They want to play football. They want to play basketball. They want to play baseball where they know they can be paid very handsomely. Well, that's true to an extent, except the 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 highest paid players in the world are all right. they'll Probably, Politifact me on this, but I believe soccer players. I mean, now and again, maybe not in the United States. You know, maybe you know the North American Soccer League or Major League Soccer, whatever they call it nowadays here. I mean, maybe not that, but I mean, you know, you look at the top players that are playing in the top leagues, the you know the English Premier League and you know the La Liga, whatever they call that. I mean, you you look at those, uh, and and these are that's where like big money is but for whatever reason you know US soccer just is not translating the interest that young people have in the game into competitive teams and there's just no other way to look at it and it's not just one game it's not like well you know anything can happen in one game but i mean this entire season you no know, they stunk It's 8.56. This is Jeff Wagner. Big thing number two is coming up. Be sure to stick around. We are going to talk about the UW system and whether it's time to consolidate. It's it's 8.56. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our three big things. The UW system is considering merging two- and four-year campuses. I think it's a good idea, but I'd go farther why don't we start closing some of these underperforming campuses? Oh, the horror! Stick around; we'll discuss. It's eight fifty-nine. It's nine oh eight. I'm Jeff Wagner. Jane, my producer, grew yes. does not know what a favor that, that I did to hit for him this morning because I just I, I mean I, I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting over having a bad night last night in a lot of ways, but I, I mean it was like. Did you see that this Eminem? M- Eminem, you know who he is, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Did Did you see the, this four minute rap that I he did?
5: I, I haven't watched the entire thing, oh. but I, I've I've read the lyrics.
0: Yeah, right. He, right. Yeah, he was at the, the the BET awards and he launched into this screed against President Trump, and I, I really I wanted to play it on on the radio. Um, and so this would be the the royal. When if we were going to play it, it would be the royal we because Gru would have to edit this down. Oh yeah. Because ev- every third word is a word that you can't say on on the radio. So I was going to ask him to edit this down, but it would have nothing but but bleep outs too. <laughs> and inevitably, what happens is you know you, you do your best and you miss one, and then you get called into meetings. So I just decided, you know, I am going to describe this in general terms, but. We're going to talk about it at 10.05 after your 10 o'clock news, but I, I'm not going to make him edit this down because inevitably, you know, it would be one bleep, one bleep, one bleep, and he's relatively new here, and I do not want to end his career that early. Because he really I'm,
3: cut you a break there, Gru, <laughs> right. did. Yeah, I'm telling you. Because
0: right. <laughs> I, I, I would have, when we get called into that meeting, I would have said, I don't know. I told him it was full of really nasty words, and he had to be careful about that. It's on so Gru. It's on do right. <laughs> don't, don't, don't blame me. But – Having said that, if you want – and you can find this. I mean, it, it's out there. It's just, it's Eminem. But if, if you want – if you follow me on Twitter, that's my latest tweet. I've, I've just put out a link to this, this rap. It, it goes about four minutes. You can see the video. Again, adult language warning because, like, every third word is a bad word. But I, I'm going to be curious, and what I want to talk to you about – we'll do this in about 60 minutes – is how will the president respond – and if so, how should the president respond? So, if, if you want to see this, um, four one. You can just again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's Jeff at Jeff Wagner six twenty, and I, I've sent that out um, to, to people. And I, I will describe it in greater detail when we come to that segment. But we're not going to be, we're not even going to be trying to delete all the bad words. Okay. Big story number two. Let me back into this. Um, there in the private sector. In the real world, what happens is if you have a series of stores, and one of the stores is underperforming, what you do is you close the store. So let's say that you run you you've got fourteen uh, fudgy wudgy fudgy wudgy gas stations, you know, around southeastern Wisconsin, and. 13 of the 14 are successful and they're making money, well, that, that last one, that 14th one, if it's losing money, whatever, what do you do? You close it. That, that's just the reality. That is not how it works in the public sector. You see this play out with post offices a, a lot. Um, look, and I, I understand neighborhood post offices are nice, but fewer and fewer people are using the postal service, and fewer and fewer people are actually going into post offices. So, let's say you have two post offices in the city of Milwaukee within a quarter mile of each other, and th- there's just not enough support for both of those post offices. Well, if this was the private sector, what would happen is you'd say, "Okay, we're going to consolidate. We're going to we're going to close the." post office on 60th street and you know people are now going to have to go to the post office on 35th or 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 whatever we're not going to have two of these post offices where both of them are underperforming we are going to consolidate well you try to do that in the public sector and people go just absolutely crazy oh this is terrible don't you realize that people are going to you know they're going to have to you know travel an extra 20 blocks well yeah I, i do but at the same time, that's just what happens if there is not enough business again to support something like a post office. You, you close the underperforming post offices. You consolidate. That's what you have to do. We, we have had the same resistance when it comes to the university system. Now, in in Wisconsin, you have a number of the, the four year colleges. Then you the also the four year universities. You also have thirteen two-year campuses um scattered around the, the state and the idea is some people you know go to these two-year campuses and then ultimately integrate and they move on to go to uh I don't you, you, to go to some of the four-year universities others just go and, and you get you know the, the the two-year degree and then you move on and you go into the workplace the problem is the, the demographics of the state of Wisconsin at least right now don't indicate any sort of growth at all in the number of people who are going to be able to go to college. Story in the Journal Sentinel, I think, correctly points this out. Demographics show nearly um, 95% of Wisconsin's population growth will be people age 65 or older by 2040, and those in the labor forces 18 to 64 will increase 0.4%. Um, the 13 two-year campuses have been hit particularly hard. Um, their enrollment has dropped 32% since 2010, um, 32% over the course of the last seven years. And it looks like that is going to continue to happen. What they have had to do is that some of the schools, for example, um, UW-Marathon County, that's Wausau, and UW-Marshfield in northern Wisconsin have seen huge drops. Matter of fact, what they're doing now is they're having to take faculty members from these campuses and transfer them to other campuses. Um, some went to 50% or 100% teaching online. Bottom line is kids aren't going for whatever reason. So what the president of the UW uh, system, um, Ray Cross, he's out yesterday or uh, uh, hinting at what he wants to do is he wants to restructure the campuses. And he's not talking about closing the campuses, but what he would do is essentially merge them. So the idea would be, um, for example, if you... I don't know, if, if you attended UW-Waukesha, a two-year school, that would be affiliated. It would be a branch of UW-Milwaukee. So if you wanted to continue on to get a four-year degree, you would feed into UW-Milwaukee. That, that's kind of the idea. I don't have a problem with this idea, but and this is where it's controversial. I, I think we need to go farther. If some of these two-year colleges aren't attracting enough people to essentially justify their continuing being open. And I understand it's a wonderful service in the community, but if they're not, do we need 13 two-year campuses? Doesn't it make more sense to say, okay, and if, if this particular college isn't getting enough people, and as we look at projections five, 10, 15 years from now, it doesn't look like it's going to change, why are we continuing to keep that campus open? Um, is it going to inconvenience some people? Does it mean that, okay, you know, maybe you're going to have to drive an extra 30 miles or whatever? But, yeah, I, I get it. But but isn't that how you handle it in the private sector? Can we continue to keep particularly these two-year campuses open? when the enrollment continues to decline. 414-799-1620. I don't have a problem with what he's talking about doing, which is merging some of this stuff, and I think there's going to be some cost savings. But at the same time, isn't that like putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs a whole bunch of stitches? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. Um, If you want to join us, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 917. It's 920, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, the president of UW System is out saying what we should do is merge some of our two-year colleges. We have 13 in the state of Wisconsin into the four-year ones. The idea being if you go to UW-Waukesha, a two-year college, that would become essentially a branch of UWM, and so you would automatically feed into there. I don't have a problem with that, but at the same time, if you have underperforming Two year colleges, wh- why don't we consider closing them down? I mean, just asking. 414 799 1620. Let's start with Justin at Bayview. Justin, you're first. Good morning.
6: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Uh, uh, well, I, I do agree with you about the, uh, the merging because, for example, my daughter took advantage. She was very shrewd. She went to UW Waukesha, got all her basic credits out of the way at half cost tuition commuted to and from work, so she financed her own way through there, then transferred to UWM for the education program and is going to graduate with a teaching degree shortly. Right. So that worked out great. And I do think this affiliation makes sense. What really concerns me about that though is that the true UW four year schools are your traditional academic, we do research, we have the professors with the high salaries, they don't do a lot of teaching, the TAs run all the courses, as opposed to the two year schools are by far the most efficient and the best education value for the students, most of the instructors are there to teach. They are people that are from industry more than they are academics. There's no research going on for the most part. It's too bad about the cost of these things. Somehow I think we need to get more students to the two-year schools, especially some of the ones that have to commute. And that's where I'm concerned if we close them down, yes, 30 more, more miles away, but if it's already 50 miles away, can people actually make that commute and hold down a job and try to be there, especially if they're a non traditional
0: student? Just, well, but at the also same no, time, no, it, I, you know, I have a text saying, well, if you close these down, the, the, the next one might be hundreds of miles away. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, just giving give did an idea, I'm looking at a map right now, for example, and you've got, and I don't mean to pick on, on these because I, I don't know what the attendance is, but okay, UW Fond du Lac. Right across from UW-Sheboygan. So, I mean, it's, I mean, really, if you consolidated those two, and again, I'd have to look, I'm looking at the the lowest performer ones, but if you you consolidated Fond du Lac and Sheboygan, would that really be this huge... You know, imposition. Um, well, and,
6: that's a lot of expense, commuting those extra miles. Yeah. You know, fuel is cheap Yeah,
0: but it's a lot of industry. expense to keep open schools that, that people aren't attending. And I'm not picking on those two. I'm just, just looking at their I proximity. I
6: think it's get people to the two-year schools because they are efficient. And a lot of the students there are the ones who are getting the best value for their education. They pay their tuition. They get the instructors what? teaching them. They get their basics what? out of the way. Then they can go to the four year programs. We obviously right. need the transparency to make sure it moves into the four year program. And the thing I'm concerned too is if they do affiliate, are they then going to put all those high end professors in the two year schools, mm-hmm. raise the costs, and now all of a sudden right. it, it's just more expensive? I hope not.
0: Right. And it, it, Justin, see, I want you to say I, this is not a screen. This is not anti the, the two year schools. It, it, it's not. But I, I'm. I mean, I'm just looking right now. I'm looking at the map of. I, I'm looking at the map. And if it is, in fact, true that you have, you know, dramatic, you know, that you have dramatic uh, attendance drops and they don't think that that is, you know, going to change. I mean, do you really, for example, um, you've got, okay, UW Marathon County which is in, in Warsaw and UW Marshfield which is in Wood County um do, do you need both of them i mean they're they're talking about for example how they've seen huge drops in their attendance and i understand that there there's a gap between them and it it might mean that some people are going to have to drive a little bit farther and i understand that that is going to be uh, an inconvenience but at the same time if just because you've always had thirteen, does that mean that you always, you know, have to, um, you know, have to have that thirteen? Okay, let's talk to Justin and Madison. Justin, good morning. You're at six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff.
7: How are you doing today?
0: I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
7: Um, I actually had this experience where I didn't have a lot of my two year credits transfer um, to four year universities. Same with my sister, even though she went to UW schools. Um, I think the most the effective way would just be to standardize the crediting system so you can take your undergraduate credits at any two-year university and then transfer into a four-year to get whatever degree you want. Um, I think it would force competition between the four years and the two years, and I think overall it would help drive down costs and just uh, open more opportunities for people who maybe don't know what they're doing um, when they start, when they graduate from high school, so they just want to get some credits, and uh, also maybe they can't afford a four-year degree, so they just Okay. kind of want to take, do part-time schooling and work i i think it would just open more opportunities um for yeah, competition and, and drive
0: down costs. And, and, you know, and i don't disagree with that i think his idea when it comes to doing these sort of mergers what he's trying to do is get at duplicative in, from, uh, administration things you know so if you I, again if uw waukesha becomes a branch of UW Milwaukee. For example, maybe you can get rid of a lot of the administration at UW-Waukesha and simply kick it down and have UW Milwaukee do that. I think I think that's where a lot of the savings would be coming from under his idea.
7: Um, maybe, but mm-hmm. you know, I think I think the biggest cost is just the runaway tuition cost. Yep. And if you have competition or people want to get into those four-year universities, um, People are going to pay whatever it costs. So you're really not going to get any savings because they'll just jack up the rates regardless to build new dormitories, new facilities, whatever it may be. If you have true competition in the marketplace where people can say, I can get the same credits for half the cost of a two-year university and transfer them over, I think I think that's going to have a bigger impact than any uh, elimination of, of staffing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and you may very well be right, and I don't have, again, I, I'm not, I'd I have to think through what you're talking about, at least off the top of my head. I don't necessarily have any sort of problem with it. I guess going back to my larger point, though, if, if you've got universities where these two-year colleges, and I mean, again, I, I don't, now, I don't mean to pick on, you know, Marathon County and, and Marshfield, but in Wood County, but they're relatively close to each other, relatively close. And if both of them are seeing huge attendance drops, and if you look at future projections, it doesn't look like that that's going to change, that that is going to continue to be the case. I mean, is it the end of the world? If if you consolidate in that way, is it the end of the world? If you merge UW Sheboygan with UW Fond du Lac, for example, I mean, is is that really the end of the world? How about UW Washington County and, and UW Waukesha? Now, again, my 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 guess is. Those both are are well-attended and are probably attracting enough people to justify themselves. But just like we, again, if you've got an underperforming gas station that's not attracting enough customers, you you close it and you say, okay, go to our gas station 15 blocks away. Why can't you do that with the educational system? All right, big story number three is coming up. Chicago's soda tax has fizzled. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. (music) This is Jeff Wagner. Wisconsin boys been banned from crying out for a girls' dance team, and now the case heads to court. Is this discrimination? You can weigh in today during Scafidi and Bilstadt. Tune in at 1235. All right, coming up next, the Chicago soda tax. It has fizzled out. Why did that happen? Is this a win for big soda or a win for common sense? We discuss 937, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is a rule of politics. That once a tax is put in place, it is very, very difficult to ever make that tax go away. And politicians know it. And a lot of times what happens is that there will be a tax that will be implemented or a fee that will put on be put on your phone bills, for example. Here, you know, we, um, we need to – we're going to start charging you a fee – um, and the idea is that that means that we're going to improve landline service in rural areas. And then once the need for the landline services in rural areas go away, well, interestingly enough, the fee doesn't go away. And because they think, well, people don't realize they're doing this. Now there are exceptions. You had the uh, the Packers Stadium tax up in Brown County that did in fact sunset, but. Very, very often what happens is once you get a fee or a tax that's in place, it really, it never goes away because people, well, they're outraged when you put it on in the first place, but a lot of times they just forget. And politicians know that. Well, there was an exception to the rule that occurred yesterday. We have talked in the past about many communities across the country that are going after what we call, quote, unquote, big soda, kind of like, you know, big oil, big tobacco, big, um, you know, coal, whatever. And, and the argument is, if you drink sugary sodas, you are contributing to the health crisis. Kids are becoming obese and all that sort of stuff. So what we want to do is we want to impose taxes as a way of trying to change behavior. On top of that, you know, municipalities across the country are strapped for revenue. So what's a better way to generate a lot of revenue than to tax soda? So what they did in Chicago was they in Cook County, which is where Chicago is, they implemented and the, the the leader of the Common Council, she was a big advocate of this. She said, look, by doing what I want to do. This will generate a couple hundred millions of dollars of extra revenue a year. And this is revenue that we can use to improve the streets or do all this other stuff. And at the same time, well, maybe, you know, we, we can do, we can do some stuff helping obesity, but they made no bones about it. This was primarily to draw, to draw revenue. So what they did is they implemented a one cent per ounce sales tax on soda. So in other words, um, if you bought a, a six-pack, uh, people commonly buy a 12-pack of Diet Coke. So you go to the grocery store, you buy a 12-pack of Diet Coke, one cent per ounce. So there's 12 12-ounce 12 cans. You're paying an, an extra $1.44 in tax for that 12-pack of Coca-Cola. It applied to – rest, and and this didn't just apply to – the, the Coca-Cola or the Mountain Dew that had sugar in it. This applied to Diet Coke. It applied to Diet Mountain Dew. Any beverage that was either sweetened with sugar or artificial sweeteners, even though that the Diet now Diet Coke might not be great for you if you drink a lot of it, but it's not necessarily contributing to obesity. Might be causing other problems, but it's not necessarily obesity. So they implemented that. It applied to restaurants. So if you went in and, and you ordered. I don't know. You got a 16 ounce soda with your Happy Meal or whatever. You know, you, you had to pay an extra 16 ounce cents um, for that for that one soda. Um, same thing, true. If you bought like the liter bottle of Mountain Dew or whatever, in addition to all of that, it applied to re- to refills. So let's say you're in a restaurant um, that has free refills on soda. Well, okay, the refill might have been full, but they'd have to charge you. Let's say you got a 12 ounce glass. Um, they'd have to charge you an extra twelve cents in tax for that, that refill of soda. People rebelled. The other interesting anomaly is because that the food stamp program, you know Quest or whatever you want to call it, since that's controlled by the federal government, the, the local government can't tax those benefits. So interestingly, if you were paying for soda with food stamps, the EBT cards or whatever, you wouldn't pay the tax, but other people would. So, I mean, if you want to talk about something interesting. If we accept that you know drinking soda is bad for you, all right, people, low-income people, people who need the food stamps, you can buy the soda without paying the tax where everybody else has to. It, it was just a nightmare. And once this went into effect, it went into effect August 1st, people started, head started exploding, and there was huge pressure to rescind this tax. Yesterday, in a test vote, the the equivalent of Milwaukee's Common Council, the the Cook County Council, um, voted 15, they call them, they're actually a board of commissioners. They voted 15 to 1 to roll back the tax uh, effective December 1st. The final vote is going to be today, but, I mean, it's 15 to 1. They recognized, at least in their opinion, that this, that the people weren't with them that this was effectively the, the new Boston Tea Party, you know, taxation without representation, all that type of stuff, and and they decided, okay, this isn't working. Now, the, the aftermath of this vote right now, and I'm looking at some of the stories, both nationwide and out of Chicago, is that this is a huge victory for Big Soda. It's the forces of evil. They, put, they hired all these lobbyists, they went after this, you know, they, they killed this because they don't care about the health they just don't want stuff that might limit people from buying their sodas. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think what happened in Chicago serves and should serve as a cautionary tale to communities all across this country that there is a limit on how far the taxpayers are willing to go when it comes to paying these different fees. And taxes on common goods. I understand this worked with tobacco. But cigarettes are different than soda. And I mean I think this Cook County tax had a lot of problems with it. Starting with the fact that it, it really it wasn't about health. It was really about generating revenue. Hence it's not just the sugary sodas. But it's also the, the diet sodas. You know it's it's anything with the artificial sweeteners. This I think rather than being about health, was really about a way we can sort of get into the pockets of taxpayers. But I think, you know, this is an indicator of enough is enough. Now, after this happened, I got a couple texts and a couple emails from people saying, Jeff, I know you oppose this, but you need to realize, you know, look at all the money problems that these municipalities have. This is an easy and effective way to raise a whole bunch of money this is $200 million a year in taxes that they could have gotten out of people who live and visit in Chicago. This is easier. This is the type of tax that we should, in fact, have. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. This is big story number three. Is, is this the fact that the Chicago soda tax is going down in flames, that it is fizzling? Is this just a tribute to the power of Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola and their lobbyists? Or is this just a reflection that average citizens are sick of being taxed for things and expecting them to pay an extra 12 cents for a can of soda is a bridge too far? 414 799 I think it's the latter, and I think that that's a, a message that, you know, people, people in Wisconsin and politicians in Wisconsin, local and state, need to uh, pay heed of. I think people are sick of being taxed for things that, you know, that they shouldn't be taxed for. And this is that example. All right. Was this big soda or is this just the taxpayer saying enough is enough? 946, we discuss next. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 949, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's becoming a crowded race for governor on the Democrat side of the aisle. Former State Party Chairman Matt Flynn, retired lawyer, will now be on the ballot as well. Why does he think he can stand out from all the rest in the primary? Matt Flynn joins Wisconsin's afternoon news to answer that question at four thirty-four today. So tune in for that. Matt Flynn grew, who's producing the show today, and always. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think how many races he's lost. I mean, he, he's just. I mean, he's he ran for Senate, he lost. He ran for Congress, he lost. It, he's lost at least four times. Now, why, at the age of seventy, Matt? who I, I know, I used to practice, you know, law. He was at Quarles and Brady, and I was in private practice and things like that. I, why why at the age of 70, this is now where he wants to make his comeback? I, I don't know. Sometimes it's just best to say, okay, you've had a successful career. Just in, enjoy writing those books and stuff. But anyhow, he is joining the crowded crowded field, and uh, you can listen to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. They will be interviewing him this afternoon. Okay, we're talking about something that just absolutely fascinates me, and, and it, it's I will guarantee you that there are municipalities all around the country who have been looking at what happened in Chicago um, this has been one of the big fundraising efforts that's out there go after big soda let let's let's impose taxes we will demonize soda like we demonize cigarettes and, and what we're gonna say is we we want to discourage people from drinking the soda soda bad so let's tax well okay the problem was with soda unlike cigarettes that i think the the health risks of Somebody having, you know, a, a can of pop here and there is much different than people starting to, to smoke. So, I mean, I, first of all, I, I don't think people, as a general rule, accept the notion. Now, obviously, if, if you're drinking four quarts of, of Mountain Dew a day, that, that's going to mess you up. But I think most people say, well, if I have a can or two of, of soda, that's not going to be the end of the world. And you know what? It's not. And, and especially in Chicago, what they decided to do was not just go after sugar. What they decided to do was, okay, we're going to go after every every pre-sweetened beverage. So even if it doesn't have sugar in it, and even if it's not contributing to obesity, we're going to go after that as well. And I think that pretty much exposed the advocates of this as as not being about health at all, or only being about health on the periphery. This was nothing more than a tax. and, And people rebelled against it. Jeff in Fox Point sends me a text. I think the problem was that there was this slippery slope with diet soda and other beverages. The tax would have had a better chance if it stuck with traditional sugared sodas like regular Coke, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, etc. Yeah, that that's true. But if they did that, it wouldn't have generated anywhere near as much revenue as they planned, and and that's why again it exposed this whole thing as being nothing but a, a revenue grab. Um, here's another one of the texts: Starbucks Starbucks lattes have more calories than most soda. Did they tax that? No, that they didn't. That's the other interesting thing. If you went to Starbucks and you bought a bottle, like, you know, you bought one of the, the they're the, bottled, whatever whatever they have, you know, their, their bottled lattes or, or whatever, yes, and, and it was pre-mixed, yes, you would have paid a tax on that. But again, if you went and you ordered one of the baristas to make one of these lattes that was full of sugar, well, you weren't taxed on that. Or, if you ordered, for example, coffee black, but then, you know, you put six sugars in it, you weren't taxed on that. It made little or no sense for this entire situation. And, of course, you know, now that this has gone down in, in flames, I, I think what you see is that the fact that I think there's a lot of politicians that are out there that believe that taxpayers are just there to be fleeced and that you can keep imposing tax after tax after tax, and nobody's going to think anything of it, well, this pretty clearly indicates that there are bridges too far, and I think this soda tax is definitely one. This is not the first soda tax that has gone down to defeat. Santa Fe, New Mexico, tried to do the same thing, and that blew up in their face in early May. So this idea that, here, we can tax sodas as a way of generating revenue, which has started to sweep the country, There's now backlash, and that's why I think any politician in Wisconsin, that we consider this as a way of trying to raise revenue, better think twice. It's 9.53. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Eminem takes on President Trump. How should President Trump respond? Stick around. It's 9.56. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's one step away from becoming a pro football Hall of Famer. Packers legend Jerry Kramer sits down for a one-on-one conversation with Wayne Larravee in his latest play-by-play podcast presented by your local Chevy dealer. Check it out now online at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. When you're there, check out the podcasts of all the different shows here on WTMJ. I know a lot of people download my podcast of this show. I very much appreciate it. All right. Um, David Clark resigns as Milwaukee County Sheriff. That creates a vacancy. In that position, um, whoever is appointed, if they want to keep the job, will have to run um, in and ultimately be elected next November. So it's really whoever gets the interim appointment is there for 13 months. Um, the governor's office announced five finalists for this, um, including former, Malice, former Milwaukee Police Department uh, official, um, who is announced that he's already running, um, and that would be er- Ernell Lucas. He's also affiliated with Major League Baseball and security. He- he's already announced that he's running the active, the interim sheriff, the guy who took over the number two person in the department, Richard Schmidt. Um, he he's applied for it. He's one of the finalists. Plus, there are others. If I were the governor, what would I do? First of all, understanding that anybody who runs for this is going to have to run as a Democrat. It, it's Milwaukee County. That That's just the way this is. And I can't imagine Governor Walker spending a lot of political capital trying to get whoever he appoints uh, elected in a Democratic primary. I, I just don't see that happening. Candidly, I, I think the acting sheriff, Richard Schmidt, and I don't even know if he's planning to run as a Democrat for the job, um, but I, I think... This is one where, if I were advising the governor, my comment would be, wh- why rock the boat here? I mean, because, like I say, whoever ends up running is going to run as a Democrat. You're not going to be playing in that race anyways. The, the list of people, to the extent I know any of their politics, is they are Democrats, and, and, and that's, that's fine. I think rather than trying to pick winners and losers and favorites in the upcoming Democratic sheriff's primary, it's going to be a crowded primary, going to be a lot of people in it, I think it makes the most sense to simply go with the guy that's in there now. He's a career law enforcement official. He knows the sheriff's department intimately. Allow him to continue to run the sheriff's department. I think he's done a good job over the course of the last month. And then just allow this to all kind of shake out. might be that Richard Schmidt decides that he just wants to, again, continue in his career as an executive with the sheriff's department and not even be the sheriff full-time politically, this is one where I would advise Governor Walker, just, you know, why bother rocking the boat? It is 9.59, Eminem, and President Trump that's coming up. Stick around. It's 10.08, so Jane. All right, now see, Now here's what, uh, somebody gave us flowers. I know, isn't that nice? It, it was. I mean, we, we, we got this. We, we got this note from our wonderful receptionist who said a company called New Bloom stopped by this morning and dropped off two little bou- bouquets of flowers, essentially um, two for you and two for me. Isn't that cool? The yeah. idea is to keep one and pass the other along. So it's that's lovely. It, it is. So okay, now see, I'm actually I'm going to see my wife today. This is you know, and you crazy kids, it, 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 exactly. <laughs> and so this is, but here here is the truth, and she will tell you this. I, I buy her flowers on weekends. I mean, I do. I'm I'm kind of that, and I, it's. I, I do. So, you know, it's, That's um, nice. but, um, so this is. But now, at least today, I don't have to. So we got like, we got two like little bouquets of flowers and stuff. She's we closed on our we closed on our house yesterday. Of course, it's not going to be ready to move into for a couple months. So she's taking charge of getting it ready to move into. She's also t- taking charge of getting my house ready so we can put it on the market sometime. So I think she deserves flowers. I, think, <laughs> I would say you're right. I should
5: just give you my two bouquets of flowers no, no. to give to Fran. No, no, no. You de- you
0: you, de- you you deserve that as you know. know you you deserve those. But well, that's very nice. I that's mean, that's, lovely. I went and looked at them. They're actually. They're nice They're flowers beautiful. too and stuff. Yeah, oh. it's exactly. So we can't, you can't find a vase right see. You should have. We should have vases around here. Well, for that it would stuff. be nice.
5: I've been looking through all the bins and stuff. We got to <laughs> find something. Otherwise, we're going to have to put them in like a recycling uh, waste basket to keep them uh, hydrated for mm-hmm. a little bit.
0: So now, see, I was going to take credit for like picking these up, but no. The, the truth is, I, I will tell her these came from the, this company. Well, that you just them busted off.
5: yourself. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I did. Well, hon, the, the ones you've been getting in the past, they come from me. But this one is is there. So well, thank um, you so much, and thanks for the. For Folks at New Bloom, we appreciate that. All right, let us get started. I, I am going to be Gru, who is producing the show today and always. Do Do you think people know who Eminem is? Um, in, in general, yeah. Eminem is a. Um, um, his name is Marshall Mathers, and um, he, he's been around forever. He's he's. Um, He's 45 years old, um, and he's he's a rapper. Um, he was um, a- actually a, a huge sold a ton of records um, in in the 2000s. He's had 10 number one albums, um, and you know he, he's again. People describe him as, as kind of like the the, the king of, of hip hop. He has been very political over over the years, and it, it's I mean. He's taken on Hillary Clinton, he's taken on Bill Clinton, he's taken on George Bush. I mean, it, it's it, it's kind of, I mean, he, he's a, a commentator on, on social matters. Now, I was saying this earlier, he appeared at the, the BET Awards uh, the other night and he put out a four and a half minute video. Um I was going to I, I put links to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner620. I, I put links to this. I mean you can find it around. Um we, we were going to play a portion of it on the radio, but the truth is every third word is a word I can't play on the radio, and I didn't want to put my producer through the problem of having to excerpt, you know, every three words because inevitably what happens is we miss one, then we could call it into meetings. But if, if you wanna if you wanna see it, it's it's I mean it, it's it's out there. Um it is being described as the fiercest and most exhaustive attack against Donald Trump in in hip hop. And I mean, I, I I watch it. It's he he's in this parking garage and it's kinda like this one on one thing. To give you an idea of some of the things he says, he describes the president as a kamikaze that will probably cause a nuclear holocaust. Um racism's the only thing he's fantastic for. Because that's how... I can't say what he says there, um, but but that's it. Um, He cannot withstand the fact that we're not afraid of Trump. All these horrible tragedies, and he's bored and would rather cause a Twitter storm. Who's going to pay for his extravagant trips? Same stuff that he tormented... Except he doesn't say stuff. Same stuff that he tormented Hillary for, and he slandered, then does it more. This racist 94-year-old grandpa. To him, you're zero because he don't like his war heroes captured. Um... Blank that. This is for Colin. He's referring to Colin Kaepernick. Um, Ball up a fist and keep that blank, bald like Donald the blank. Um, The rest of the country, stand up. We love our military and we love our country, but we blanking hate Trump, although he doesn't say blanking. And that's you, you get the idea. That's just some of the the highlights of this. This is getting just a ton of attention. Um, this has gone completely viral. You know, and he's um, essentially the way this is playing out is he's drawing lines in the sand for fans who support Trump. I mean, he's just like, look, um, any fan of mine who's a supporter of his, I'm drawing a, I'm drawing in the sand a line you're either for or against. And if you can't decide who you like more and you're split on who you should stand beside, I'll do this for you. So, I mean, he, he's it is a... A huge attack on on the president. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, interestingly, over the years, Eminem, Marshall Mathers, and, and Donald Trump, they've they've made appearances together. I mean, they're um, back when he was doing his reality TV show and stuff. He made a couple appearances on um, videos that Eminem had, had made. So. They were, at one point in time, I don't know if they were friends, but they were at least close enough that he would make appearances. So now you have this attack by a hip-hop artist um, on, on him, and it, it's, it's, like him or not, I mean, like uh, Eminem, like um, Donald Trump or not, I mean, this is a pretty hardcore sort of vicious uh, attack. So now to me, the interesting thing, and this is getting all sorts of play, like I say, if you turn on CNN or you turn on MSNBC, trust me, you're going to see portions of this video being played. So now the question becomes, to me, what does President Trump do? President Trump has a history of responding to attacks. Um, He has a history of Some would say punching down, you know, going after people who aren't as important as him, and he is the leader of the free world in responding to some of these and picking some of these fights. Well, here you have a prominent hip hop artist who is taking him on in a very, very direct fashion. 414 799 1620, that is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I have a very, I'm curious as to where you come on down on this. I have my advice that I would offer the president, but if you are President Trump, And obviously, he's aware of this. Like I say, this is getting all sorts of play. The question becomes, do you respond to this? And how do you respond to this? Or do you just let this go? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1016. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1018. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, how how should the president respond to this? Um, let's see. Tom in Milwaukee says, all this is is Marshall Mathers, that's Eminem, trying to promote a new album that he's got coming up, uh, coming out. So that's the theory that this isn't protest. This is just a way to hey help try to sell a few records. Um, Austin says it's his right, freedom of speech. Nobody's arguing with that. I guess my question is, how do you think the president should respond and and how how will he respond? OK, we've got one of our Trump haters here in the text. Um, he has to respond. Why? Because even though vulgar m m because even though vulgar M&M is correct, everyone outside of the Trump cult knows that he is a buffoon and the Kool-Aid drinkers won't uh, or can't just admit it. All right. 414-799-1620. What is he going to do here? My my advice and uh, Gru is lining up the calls. My advice that will be ignored would be just let it go. I mean, just let it go. I, I think, and again, I, I was using the phrase earlier, punching down. I, I understand in, you know, the, the hip hop community or whatever. You know, Eminem is a, is a big deal. I, I get that, and he sells a lot of records. And if you like that kind of music, um, I I think you know I understand it's a big deal. But at the same time, you're dealing with the leader of the free world, and people. People, especially if you are a conservative, are always going to be criticized by the artistic community, by by the Hollywood left, by the music left. That is always going to happen. But to me, I guess the the bigger issue is, if you're the President of the United States, just just let stuff go. I think, and I was actually talking to somebody who I, I think actually knows President Trump yesterday, and I was just saying, now, we, we were talking about, again, the difference between style and substance and, and how difficult it is to sub- separate the substance of the policies that he is talking about that I think many conservatives agree with, with, with the style and the need to... Fire back. You get decide. Okay, well, the, the senator from Tennessee, Bob Corker, he's dissed me, so now I, I have to respond, and I have to take this, and I have to just just blow this entire thing up. Sometimes you just ignore stuff. And, and candidly, if I were advising the president, I would ignore this. Who cares what this rap artist thinks? I mean, especially if you're the president of the United States, just let it go. But I will bet you dollars to donuts that there is going to be some response at some point in time, which will do nothing but turn this story into a two and a three and a four day story. And to the extent he's got a new album coming out, will help him sell more records. Let's talk to Rich in West Dallas. Rich, uh, good morning you're on 620 WTMJ.
8: Hey, Jeff, thanks. I appreciate sure. uh, letting me talk. I sure. agree. I mean, this guy, I told the uh, screener, the only Eminem I care about is playing and Peanut. Um,
0: <laughs> Plain and Peanut. I know
8: yeah. he's a big rapper, he's a big artist, you know. Who cares? I yeah, mean, he, right i you know I don't want to start swearing, but well,
0: don't knows? start swearing, no, I mean, who right no, no that's it rich, no, don't swear swearing there's no need to it, you're right, who cares it doesn't matter, you are the leader of the free world. Why respond now because the, the truth of the matter is you, you can't win one of these things anyways because people are going to believe what they want to believe and look I, I'm not again I understand some people think that this is a publicity stop stunt on the part of Eminem Well, it's probably part of a publicity stunt and it's probably also perhaps sincerely held beliefs like I say that this guy has, has been political before in the nature of some of the things he's done, and he's gone after Hillary Clinton, and he's gone after Bill Clinton, and he's gone after George Bush. So this is just the, the latest sort of thing. It, it's what the guy does. But, you know, at some point in time, you just, just let it go, don't you? I have an interesting text here. Trump will not let this go. He will call for a boycott on Eminem's new album. Um, and then... You know, that's an interesting situation. I don't know that that would surprise me. You call for that boycott, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to end up selling hundreds of thousands more albums. Sometimes I think you just have to let stuff go, and this is going to be a test for the president. Um, If I were the president, and it was something like this, my response would be, hey, I'm worried about health care. I'm worried about tax reform. I'm worried about North Korea. I don't care what some rapper has to say, God bless him. Let him go do his thing. I'm going to deal with uh, the issues that I was elected to deal with. I think that's how the president should respond. My guess is it's not going to quite play out like that. 1024 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ to be continued. It's 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Somebody text, did you say that Eminem was 45 years old? Yeah. Um, um, matter of fact, he's got a birthday coming up, October 17th, 1972. So, yeah, let's, let's do the math. That would be 45 on October 17th, right? Yeah. I tell you, old rappers don't die. They just come out with, you know, anti-Trump videos. If I were President Trump, I would just let this entire, th- I would just say no, let this entire thing pass who ends up caring at the end of the day? It just doesn't make that much difference, but um, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. The wait is over. Tickets are now on sale for this year's WTMJ holiday radio show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. Coming up on November 27th at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, you can hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas, and you can see all your favorite voices on stage. You get to participate as part of of the live studio audience this will be the third year we've done it first year that it's an original radio play only a couple tickets remain so head to papstheater.org this morning to get yours before they sell out and again i've been saying this since they went on sale a week ago um this isn't one of these like things that you when you you turn on the tv at, at three o'clock in the morning and you hear this guy saying all right act now before midnight tonight that's not what this is um Jane is laughing. Well, it's you know, it's, it's like you know the, po- the pocket, you buy the pocket fisherman and whatever. Act now before midnight tonight. No, that's that's not what this is. This it's a is finite number. Right, it, there is a finite number. We have sold out quickly. We we all, if you can't tell, we just have a blast doing this. We we absolutely do. It's one of the things that we look forward to every year. But it's upstairs at Turner Hall. So if you've been there, and a lot of people I know were there the first year, and they came back the second year, you know that there's only so many people that we can put into that space. It's sold out quickly the first two years, and um, and then inevitably what happens, and this is just the honest-to-goodness truth, uh, two weeks before the show, somebody will say, hey, they're talking about doing that, that thing again, November 27th, and I'll get really nice emails from listeners or friends saying, Jeff, you know, we really want to go. We understand it's a lot of fun. You know, can, can you get us a couple tickets? And I will say, no because it 's not like we keep this stash of several hundred tickets back they 're just when they 're gone they 're gone and you know we 're that 's just the reality, so only a few tickets remain and i 'm really not kidding about that um, if you think you want to go, and we would love to have you um, it 's twenty five bucks and a portion of that goes to kids to kids Christmas so um if you 're interested org. I would recommend you go there right away and get yours before they completely sell out because, again, it's not going to be one of these things where a week before the show, suddenly we come on the radio and say, oh, we've just got another 500 tickets to sell. That's not going to be how how this works, so check that all out a lot. All right. Um, there is a controversy in Detroit. A-, a new firefighter, there is a tradition that when you are newly hired and you get your first assignment – you, you, bring, you bring in something. Typically, people bring in ah, donuts. It's just something for everybody else to, to eat. Um, huge controversy involving a firefighter who brought something in, which has now generated enough controversy that he has lost his job. I will tell you all about this, and we'll open up the phone lines and discuss. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wisconsin lawmakers just passed a multi-billion dollar incentive package to help bring Foxconn to the state. Are these incentive packages aimed at luring new businesses good or bad for local communities in the long run? In the long run, Scott and Melissa share new numbers in a Milwaukee Business Journal investigation. That is today at 4.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. All right. He lost his job over a watermelon. Now, here's here's the story. Guy's name is Robert Pattinson he's 41 years old and he just went through um, a, a firefighter recruit class in Detroit wanted to be a firefighter so he got through the class became a firefighter and got his first assignment um engine 55 at Joy and Southfield in Detroit all right now there is a tradition in the detroit fire department that when you get your first assignment what you do is is you bring you bring a gift typically you bring something to eat for for the group um historically it's donuts i guess is what they say but but people bring all sorts of things so he shows up on his first day now he's by the way he is white And the makeup of this particular engine company is predominantly African-American. So he shows up on on his first day, and he has a watermelon, brings a watermelon, and has a a pink bow on this. And and he brings it. And this is what he brings instead of... Of donuts, and then he's on. He's on probation. He brings this watermelon wrapped in pink ribbon. Um, the the again the, the fire the engine company is largely African American, um, and a couple of the firefighters be, become offended. Now this guy says, "Look, this it wasn't a joke, and I didn't mean to offend fellow firefighters. This is I, I mean this this is the tradition. Um, the tradition is that you bring you you bring food." And I, I thought everybody would like watermelon. I brought a watermelon. That's what he says. Um, the fire chief, the fire commissioner, has now fired him. Said, okay, you're, you're gone. He said that uh, there is zero tolerance for discriminatory behavior inside the Detroit Fire Department. They say... Um, This guy, this probationary employee, engaged in unsatisfactory work behavior, which was deemed offensive and racially insensitive to members of the Detroit Fire Department. It was determined that the best course of action was to terminate the employment of his probationary employee. Um, The firefighter says, "I, I didn't mean anything I didn't mean anything by this. It's just that this is what I was doing. Now, a number of African-American members of his graduating class, and I'm I'm looking. There's a picture, and it looks like, gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I'm looking at a picture of this guy who is white, um, surrounded by 11 African-American members of his class. Um, They've all... They've started defending him. I mean, they're, they're going, hey, hey look, um, you know, th- he's an amazing dude. This was with good intentions. Our entire class is supporting him in this, especially us African-Americans. And that's all that needs to be said. So the, his the people he graduated with said, this isn't a racist guy. This is just this was the tradition. He brought the watermelon, the head of the engine company. Apparently is also saying that the same thing, that the whoever's in charge of that particular company is saying, no, I, I don't think he should have been fired either. Um, maybe he used, you know, bad, bad judgment. But, you know, I don't think he should have lost his job over bringing the watermelon. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right. I understand we live in a world where there is. There are there are racial stereotypes and, and situations like that. Here you have a white firefighter just got out of the firefighters academy. The tradition is you bring something for everybody to eat. He shows up with, with a watermelon. All right. There doesn't appear to be any sort of evidence suggesting that he, he intended this as as a racial slur. He says, No, this isn't a joke. I just I thought everybody would like this. I got this big watermelon. Um, the engine company is predominantly black. Should he have lost his job by bringing this watermelon instead of, you know, two dozen donuts? Four one four seven nine is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. My take on this, and feel free to disagree, is absent any indication that this guy was had some sort of racist intent, and there doesn't appear to be any, absent some indication that he... You know, intended to insult the African American people, the folks that work at this fire company. I think, I think that this is, I think he shouldn't have been fired. I think this is a politically correct overreaction. Now, if you've got evidence that he intended to walk into his new engine company and racially insult the vast majority of the people that were there, well, that's a different story. But all he did was he brought he brought a watermelon. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Should this have cost him his job, or is this political correctness run amok? We discuss. It's 1040. This is Jeff Wagner. 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I don't make this story up. Guy, 41-year-old guy gets out of the, the Firefighters Academy or whatever they would call it in Detroit, gets his first assignment at an engine company. Um, the engine company is predominantly staffed by African American firefighters. The tradition is the first day you show up, you, you bring you bring some form of food. A lot of times people bring donuts, but sometimes people bring other stuff. This guy comes with a giant watermelon. All right? He says, "Hey, I, he likes watermelon. He brings watermelon. He has now been fired. Um, for being racially insensitive. All right, let's see. Lori says in Milwaukee, I'm confused. I'm white. Am I allowed to like watermelon or not? I may have to rethink all my picnics. Um, Matt says, Oh, my God, enough is enough. I hope that... any African-American folk don't bring any crackers to the firehouse because should they be fired as well? I mean, where where do you draw the line? Beth says, obviously, he wanted this job really bad and worked hard for it. Um, it would be stupid to walk in and make a racial slur, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, she goes on. To, uh, and then Ben from Whitewater says, hey, I'm a 34 year old white male. Should I be offended every time brings somebody brings crackers to a party? I mean, this is absolutely nuts. Um, let's see another text. If he would have brought in chicken, watermelon, grape soda, I could maybe see how somebody could be offended. But this is completely ridiculous. Being racist is one thing, but using racism as a weapon is no good. Yeah, I'm, um, um, let's see. I am a middle class, middle aged white American man. I would love it if someone brought in watermelon to work. Watermelons are delicious. Yeah, I I mean, I wonder where where you draw the line. Okay, yesterday. Yeah, uh, I hope my doctor's not listening to this. But yesterday we closed our house. My wife had to go back up and go to work, so I was going to see her last night. I decide I'm going to treat myself. I, I I have not had Kentucky Fried Chicken in a long, long time. I ran past this Kentucky Fried Chicken and and got some Kentucky Fried Chicken and took it home and eaten it, eat it, eating it, it. I'm I'm a middle aged white guy. I, I, you know, should I feel guilty about eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and? If there were a couple people at my house and I got a bucket instead of three pieces and I wanted to share it, I mean, is is that racist? 414-799-1620. Brian on the west side. Brian, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
9: Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, what if, if food is food. What if somebody brought a pizza or tacos? Then you're going to offend Italians and Mexicans. That's
0: crazy. Well, well, right. I mean, right. The, the thing is, you're supposed to bring something, you know. And so, yeah. I, I mean, again, if, if it is largely Hispanic district, and if he brought, you know, tacos or something, that's a great question. Is, is that is that racially insensitive? Now, look, if the guy, if there was evidence that this guy was trying to. I don't know, mock the African-Americans at the fire station. That would be different. But I don't think that's the case. This is just, hey, he was no, supposed to bring something. He thought everybody would like watermelon. He likes watermelon, so he brought a big watermelon. Exactly. No, I'm, I mean, see, and this is the frustrating, frustrating thing that I have. There, are, there is real racism in this world, and when you find real racism, I mean, it needs to be called out and it needs to be condemned. But at the same time, this idea that we are going to actively look for racism. And that's why I was curious when the story broke, because apparently a couple people at the fire station were offended when he showed up with the watermelon. And so they conducted an investigation trying to determine, all right, what what, what was he doing with this? Was this some sort of like weird joke or something? But no, I mean, I think all the evidence is, hey, I, I like watermelon. I found this really big. looks like a really good watermelon. I thought everybody would like it, including myself. I, I brought it here. All right, and that's going to cost you your job? Let's talk to Rob on the north side. Rob, you're on 620.
2: Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Rob. Um,
6: I I am offended by the whole situation because he's costing him his job and possibly his career now because he's a new guy and he gets fired. Yep. Um, I think the country is getting out of hand with some of the racist problems that we're having. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have a solution, but... It's like the National Anthem uh, thing in football. It's just getting too carried away. Now, they should have never protested on the National Anthem because, you know, that re- reflects so much on other issues.
0: Yeah, well, I don't want to get too far. Thanks for the call, Rob. I don't want to get too far afield. But, but, but I mean, this this to me is, is a pretty simple sort of situation. I mean, I, again, I, I understand... That there are that there are stereotypes out there, and I understand that maybe under certain circumstances, you know, you know, bringing a watermelon or something, you know, would really be an act of racism. I guess I, if I thought long enough about it, I, I could come up with one of those things. But I mean, I, I the way I look at this is I kind of all right. If, if let us assume that this would have been one of the African-American members of this guy's graduating class. And like I say, they're, that that whole class is standing up for him. They're saying, this isn't a racist guy. Um, if one of the African-American members of the class had done the same thing and he had shown up with a watermelon, you know, would anybody be offended? And my guess is no, nope, nobody would be offended. Everybody said, oh, hey, that's great. You brought a watermelon. People love the watermelon. Let, let's have it. Looks like it's pretty good. I, nobody would have been offended. But because he's the white guy that shows up with that, it ends up costing him his job, and not, by the way, just costing him his job. But let's face it. I mean, this is getting national attention, and you know that there's going to be all sorts of people that are going to be talking about this. This guy is going to be labeled as a racist. This, my guess is, will make it impossible for him to be hired as a firefighter anywhere. Now, I'm not saying he's a probationary employee. I am not saying that the Detroit fire chief is, Didn't have for probationary employees. You can let them go for any or no reason, essentially. So I'm not saying that they they didn't have the right to fire him. But I look at this story and candidly, it just screams out that this was not the right thing to, to do. Um, you know, I mean, and again, the argument is, well, you know, it's, you, you you bring a watermelon to this situation and there's zero tolerance for discriminatory behavior inside the Detroit fire department. Okay, fine. I, I get that. I, I get it. Um, you know, I get it. It brings the, uh, and you want to condemn discriminatory behavior. I, I mean, I I'm with that a hundred percent, but it's looking at what I would call benign behavior. That that candidly, I I think you you try to invent the situation, and it it sets. I think this sets the whole concerns that the the people legitimately have about real racism. It sets it back because most people say, "Okay, he brought this. You know, people eat watermelon. You know, was there anything that indicates that he was really intending to diss everybody at the fire station? Well, absent that, just eat the watermelon and enjoy it." mike I'm um, in milwaukee mike you're at 620 wtmj good morning
5: hi jeff uh miss your show I'm, I'm actually out of detroit i'm in milwaukee just today
0: okay great
5: so, yes i i um have to say I, I agree i agree that the the whole messaging and the, the thing of racism gets set back more to attack core racism when there's something as as frivolous and foolish as this and i feel bad I feel bad for the people like this this poor guy now, even if he keeps his job and he appeals and he gets his job back and he maybe have to go through legal for it. You know, he's not going to be comfortable. His career
0: right. has been sidetracked. Right. Well, pr- I think his career has been over, Mike, because, I mean, the truth is he's a probationary employee, so they can fire him for any reason or no reason. I don't think he has a cause of action. But now, I mean, as I was just saying, I mean, can you imagine it, it, the, guys, the guy's out there? His name is out there. Can you imagine that next time he f- tries to apply for a job at, at some fire department or something like that, he's going to be the racist guy that brought the watermelon? I'd be surprised if any fire department anywhere in the country touches him.
5: Yeah, this is a situation where everything that's going on with, with racism, black and white, with uh, all the sexism things that are going on, with political things going on, is hypersensitivity is making us all a bit stupid out there. We have to calm down and be rational and be intelligent, and it's just lacking. And here's the case right now this, this should never have gone through the review process and passed through as a racist.
0: Uh, action never should have gone through. Yeah, you know it's. I, I, matter of fact, Mike, I was writing down what you said. Hypersensitivity is making us stupid. <laughs> you know, and I just, I, I, I actually, I, I might steal that line from you because I, I, I agree completely. You no, know, thanks. I mean that, that's exactly again what what it is, and I, I mean I, I was interested to see. That's why I was I kept looking at different aspects of the story because I kept trying to find out. All right. Is there something more? Does this guy have a history of making racist remarks? Um, you know, and then, then when I see his, his entire graduating class, the people who worked with him and went through class, I mean, they're, they're supporting him. I mean, he's featured prominently. They got photographs of him with 10 or 11, you know, African-American firefighters. And they're all saying, this guy isn't a racist. He just, he knew what the tradition was. He thought... He liked watermelon. He thought other people would like watermelon. He thought it was healthier than donuts, and so he brought a watermelon. I don't know. I mean, really, what, what is wh- – where are the limits nowadays? I mean, what what can you bring? What can't you bring? I mean, at some point in time, uh, do we just have to say, okay, well, let, let's do away with all these traditions because somebody, so, somebody somewhere might be offended about something? It's 1053. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1056. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. All right, here's a text. I was a facilitator of a spirituality group that lasted for six weeks. At the end, they decided to provide me a gift. It was a platter and plates and cups, all with watermelon decor. I am black. They were all white. I admit at first I took pause, but I, I know their gift came from a place of love, not hate. Yeah, that, that's that, look, that, That's what I'm I'm saying here. Again, if, if you do this investigation and you determine that this guy was who worked all his life to be a firefighter, decided that his first assignment is at a predominantly black firehouse, and he's going to go in and he's going to try to offend all the people he's going to be working with. You know, um, if if you decide that that's what he was trying to do, well, okay, then, then you fire him. But if it's just, well, I don't know, I like watermelon. I thought everybody liked watermelon. I found this really big watermelon. I brought it here. Um, if that's what this is, really? You're, you're going to fire the guy? talk about the politically correct and the perpetually offended. All right. Don't mean to say I told you so, but I told you so. There's a federal judge in Madison, very liberal federal judge, who cracked down on on the state. This has been the this has been the whole idea, oh, they're doing all these horrible things up at the um, at the, the juvenile correction facilities um, up at, at Lincoln Hills. They're, they're holding these kids in solitary confinement. They're using pepper spray, and this is terrible. They're doing all these things. So there's this overriding order that says, okay, limit the use of solitary, limit the use of pepper spray, et cetera. Well, the problem here is you've got to work in the state of Wisconsin as a juvenile, trust me, to get yourself put in confinement. The people that are at Lincoln Hills, which is the school for boys, and Copper Lake School for Girls, this is the worst of the worst. We're not talking about kids that were out there, you know, throwing toilet paper or something. We are talking about, in general, hardcore, dangerous people. Oh, how dare you say that they're 16 years old? Well, I'm going to say it. You've got to work to get yourself put into these various facilities. The problem now that has happened is after this judge came out with this order, a judge who probably really hasn't ever worked, matter of fact, I know, hasn't really worked with, like, dangerous juveniles before. Well, now the problem is once the dangerous juveniles, once the inmates found out about this, they started acting up even more. I mean, it's just horror stories about coming out about what these young offenders, these young hardcore criminals are doing. Um, one instance, an inmate threw a food cart at a guard's booth, breaking glass on a window. In another, inmates threw garbage cans at supervisors. One of them hurled a jug of apple juice as supervisors approached him. It's all these different situations. And now you have these people whining, well, okay, they're putting these kids in handcuffs, and they're using pepper spray to get them to stop attacking guards. Well, no kidding. Again, this, this was predictable when you've got federal judges who really have never worked a day in their life dealing with these types of situations, deciding, well, gee, I'm going to tell, and now nobody's condoning, you know, abuse of, of inmates there, and it is entirely possible that maybe they were using solitary confinement too much, whatever, pepper spray too much, but this idea that, here, we're going to put restraints on the guards and then not be surprised that the inmates are going to act up, well, I'll tell you, once again, you could not pay me enough to be a guard at one of these quote-unquote juvenile correctional facilities, because the truth is you are in many cases dealing with hardcore criminals. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner. It's eleven oh nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Well, we knew this would happen. I'm a little surprised, maybe, that it has happened this quickly. But I want your reaction. All right, the tragedy in Las Vegas occurred what ten, ten days ago? Nine or ten days ago? It was Sunday night in, into Monday. A victim of the Las Vegas shooting, twenty-one year. She's twenty-one, I think. Twenty-one-year-old woman named Paige Gaspar has filed a lawsuit. She was a victim of of the shooting. Um, She has filed a lawsuit against the concert organizers, the bump stock maker, the estate of the shooter, Stephen Paddock, Mandalay Bay, and MGM Resorts International. MGM owns Mandalay Bay. Her complaint, now she, w- she was injured, she was, she was shot in, uh, in the rampage. The complaint alleges that Mandalay Bay was negligent or grossly negligent in failing to notice or take precautions against the shooter stockpiling guns and that the staff was not adequately trained to notice and report suspicious activity. Um, Of course, we know that he stockpiled his weapons in the Mandalay hotel room before firing from the windows in in his suite. Um, The suit alleges at all relevant times, Mandalay Bay should have known that it was reasonably foreseeable that a breach of their duties to keep their premises reasonably safe in the aforementioned manner might result in a catastrophic injury perpetuated by a gun-toting guest with an extreme intention to harm others. Um, this is the first lawsuit but it but it's not going to be the last because the reality is um you and you learned this early on in law school that you you can only sue you only sue people to the ability that to the extent that you can collect from them now obviously it it sounds like this this shooter um, ha- had a little bit of money, but but not not a lot. I mean, given the, the nature of his crimes and all that, th- whatever money he has, you can sue his estate, but that's not going to go very far. I mean, even if he's even if he's worth a couple million dollars, it's still not going to go very far when you're looking at 58 people who've been killed and over 500 who've been injured. So what you do when you file lawsuits is you look for the, the so-called deep pockets. You you look for. Um, individuals that, if held responsible, could pay. And, and theoretically, that would be, you know, MGM. Um, it is, I, I think, um, so this is the first, but like I say, it's probably, you know, not going to be the, the last. Um, this is an effort to assign blame to, again, MGM, people that own the Mandalay Bay. This is an uh, effort to assign blame to them, saying that, it's not just right to blame the shooter. What they should have essentially done is anticipated that somebody might do something like this and that they have had, should have had better security measures in place to stop this guy from bringing a bunch of guns up there. 414-799-1620. That is the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. In some respects, a lawsuit like this would, would break I think, legal ground. Um, As a general rule, I mean, I think everybody would agree, clearly in a situation like this, I mean, the shooter is the one responsible. But is the hotel responsible? What do you think? I mean, here clearly it's a situation where the guy over a high roller, regular guest at that hotel and others, no history known to the hotel of violence, was able to, bring up a large number of firearms, you know, presumably concealed in various suitcases or whatever, over a several-day period. He was not detected by security until he lashed out. Is this, is it fair to blame the hotel? Does the hotel bear responsibility? Should the hotel be responsible for paying damages to the victims of Stephen Paddock? 414-799-1620. 414 799 1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but I want to hear your reaction. You know, what do you think about a lawsuit against the hotel? The man apparently legally owned all these firearms, but should the hotel have done more? Should they have noticed? Should they have stopped? Are they responsible, in your opinion, for what Paddock did? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1114. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's eleven sixteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. A Wisconsin boy has been banned from trying out for a girls' dance team, and now the case heads to court. Is this discrimination? You can weigh in today during Scaffidi and Bill Be sure to tune in. Twelve thirty five. All right, here's the story. It was inevitable. I just I'm a little surprised it happened this quickly. You had the, the tragedy in Las Vegas, which was Sunday night, ten week ago, Sunday, so ten nights ago. One of the people, one of the five hundred people who was shot has now filed a lawsuit against the estate of the shooter, obviously, but also against a number of other people, most notably Mandalay Bay and the MGM company that owns Mandalay Bay. And the argument is they were negligent. Um, They should have anticipated that somebody like Paddock, high roller, would smuggle a whole bunch of guns into his room and then shoot down on the concert. And by... Not having adequate security, not checking out what was in the various bags. Um, they were, in fact, responsible and they should pay her for her injuries. 414 799 1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's start with Peter in Kenosha. Peter, you're first. Good morning. Uh,
9: yes, I, I think they should have done more. Uh, ever since uh, the police shooting in Dallas, where you had a crowd and you got a guy shooting. Ever since Manchester bombing, uh, ever since someone got ro- run over, uh, in Charlottesville, uh, things should have been done. Look at and Now look at, look at us now. Uh, what's gonna happen? Those things are gonna be put into place. But even the promoters, I mean, a lot large crowds we have to get in our mind now in America will attract the people who want to injure them. So all those people she's naming, I mean, I, if I was there, I would even name the people that was next door when the fire went off, and not call nine eleven. No one heard glass break, so there's a lot of negligence here. Uh, and, and I think she's going to win. I would well, she win all of it, but I, I just think she's going to win some of it.
0: Um, yeah, I guess um, my I guess my question um, my my question would be: Is this then the new? Is this then the new standard? I mean, is it fair to say to the hotel that they should have had to anticipate this? I mean, do you think something like this is foreseeable?
9: Yes, y- yes, 9-11, 9-11. Before you would get to the airport in five minutes, you can bring your whole family in to where, you're, where the gate is. That has changed. It's 2017, and this is the world we live in. We're always reactive, not proactive. This is what this is the new norm, sadly to say, and I think Bill rightly put it, right, put it best. I mean, so uh, this is the world we li- we're living in. We, we we just got to. Uh, uh, you know, I lived in I lived in Africa, and they always had guards in schools, mm-hmm. always had them. And these are some of the place, safest places in, in in Africa to have these places. But we're always reactive. But right. in 2017, it shouldn't be that way. With what we've seen in the last few months. No, they should have done more, and I and I'm just talking about the just just and see another thing too in Vegas. Whatever what, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So people are not out there to see what you're doing anyway. Right, <laughs> right. Now hide something, do something. That, that's that's the that's the uh, model in Vegas. So it's it, 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 it's easy to get away with. it.
0: But, yeah, I get. I, well, I mean, I, let me. Thanks for copy. I here, here's the thing. I mean, I I just. I understand that you you go back and and you look at things with hindsight, and I mean I I think it's it's a fair question. All right, you know it, it, would would somebody have noticed this? But that's different than saying that you're liable. I mean I guess I look at this and say all right. Keep in mind this wasn't even a crime. First of all, it's I don't think it's illegal to bring guns in. Now obviously if if they had known that this guy had this arsenal that was up in the room they would have probably done something but but at the same time i i don't know um what what are the hotels supposed to do moving forward are the hotels supposed to say all right you know we've got you know long standing guests here and we're going to come up and we're going to have security go through people's bags you know ev- every day now i guess if the security video comes out and they show this guy, you know, hauling rifle after rifle out of his trunk and, and bringing it up, okay, maybe that that's a, a factor. But in, in all honesty, uh, again, I, I think it's fair to say that maybe some of these hotels moving forward are, are going to change. You know, end up. We're always fighting yesterday's war. They're going to end up you know, changing some of their security procedures, and we're, we're all going to have to, uh, again, you know, pay. More attention to this, but uh, but you know we're, we're again were the airlines liable because you know you had the uh, the nine one one terrorists who were able to you know the, the nine eleven terrorists who, who were able to bring in box cutters. I mean, it, at some point in time, and look, my my heart goes out to this woman and, and to all all the victims, and I think it's perfectly fair to go ahead and turn around and, and obviously you sue the estate of the shooter, but in this case, in many respects. You know, the the hotel is a victim as well, not a victim in the sense that they were shot or anything like that. That Mandalay Bay, this is going to kill their business. You know, this is going to kill their business. And maybe people will say, good, they should have done a a lot more. But I don't know. At, At the same time, how much more anticipation do you think that they should have had? Um let's see, we have a text here. Careful what you wish for. If she gets a settlement, then every hotel go through every single person person's bag one by one as they check in at the same the same goes for airports and all transit. People do not want the inconvenience of their time, but they want to be protected. I mean see that's that really is, you know, the, the balance, you know, of this. Now one of the things that I think might be interesting is the the six-minute gap that is now emerging. My understanding is the Mandalay Bay people are saying, well, we're not sure that we agree with this. Remember, the original timeline that the Sheriff's Department came out with said the shooter had started firing when a security guard then confronted him in the room and then he shot at the security guard, wounded him, and the guy retreated. The new timeline is that a security guard was shot Um, and and wounded six minutes before the guy started shooting. And this remains one of these big questions. What happened during, you know, those six minutes when you know you've got an active shooting situation, if that, in fact, is true? And I'm still not sure that we know for positive, you know, what happened. But, you know, if you're trying to say, okay, the hotel should have done more, if you've got an indication that, gee, there's a guy, with a weapon that's capable of firing like a machine gun, who's fired on a security guard in the hall, you know, what happened during that six minutes? Now, that might be a basis, but to tell you you the truth, just this idea that, okay, we're going to sue the hotel because somebody checked in to the 32nd floor and then ended up shooting out the window, that, I think, whether they win or not, I don't know, but I, I I think that that's tough. Let's talk to Tom. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. First caller just drove me nuts. You can't, what is odd about somebody checking into a hotel with a suitcase? And, you know, if it's large enough to carry a gun, but then take it to the, you know, down to the box cutter. Are they going to go through the purse? Is there a bomb? Is there, there was nothing odd about checking into a hotel with, Right. Cases.
0: Right. Yeah. Unless and right, if the video showed that he was, you know, walking, you know, walking through the hotel with, you know, uh, with semi-automatic weapons, maybe it would be a different story. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, are you going to go through? Okay. If I if I check into a hotel, I've got a rental car and I'm bringing my golf clubs, you know, my golf bag up, um, or there's, I'm there with two or three guys and we're all staying in a suite or something and we've all got golf bags up there. Are they supposed to go through the golf bags yep. to make sure there's not? an ar-15 in there as opposed to you know golf clubs where do you draw the line
6: or a guitar case or a snowboard case or
0: yeah i yeah i I mean thanks i i'm with you and again i I, my heart goes out to this gal i mean to all the victims obviously of of this situation but at some point in time the question becomes how far do you go you know with, with with the liability that's there let's talk to sarah in milwaukee sarah good morning
1: hi there I think you already brought it up um, as I was listening and you were you were mentioning that um, how, how could the hotel be liable for mm-hmm. something like this? And I was thinking about, I hate to bring it up, but the, the other shootings that have happened across the U.S. and, for example, at some of the, for example, Virginia Tech mm-hmm. or um, some of these other institutions, now that they have lawsuits filed against them, I was just, I I don't
0: don't believe so. So so. I mean, right. Right. I mean, the the person that's responsible for this is is the shooter. And I guess I mean, I understand that. I mean, I, I kind of also wonder what sort of duty this was. This didn't even happen on the Mandalay Bay property. I mean, this this is somebody that checks into a hotel and then ends up shooting out on onto the, the street. So, I, I guess, at some point in time, do you say, oh, gee, Mandalay Bay, you should have anticipated that some psychopath, you know, who is a regular patron at this and other Vegas hotels, is one day going to act out as a madman. And I just, I guess I just don't see how this thing, as awful as it was, was foreseeable to anybody. Heck, his girlfriend. Heck, his family. Heck, all the people people that dealt with him say say well we didn't see any indications of this we don't know what what snapped it's not like they knowingly rented a room to some mad dog killer this was a big time gambler who was there all the time right yeah Yeah. and and
1: so then they said that there were other hotels that he had scoped out so then every building every institution then has to enact this you know searching everybody that goes in it could have Right. It happens at a different building altogether, not even a hotel. So then you've got all
0: these. Right. And, and even, and again, I mean, thanks. For, and again, I, one of the things I, I don't know is, all right, I, I mean, I think, I mean, he'd been there for a couple of days. I I don't think he brought all these weapons up to the room at, at once. I, I'm not positive, but I, I mean, my guess is it's going to show that, you know, he, he shuttled these things in in, in over time. Now. I mean, I don't know. Is is this a situation where you – I mean, look, I've been in Vegas a lot – where I put that do not disturb sign up on on the room on the window, okay, on the on the room, okay, we you know don't need maid service, you know don't bother coming in here, okay. Th- is that is that part of the negligence that you know he was able to you know not have maid service because he didn't need it? Is that is that going to be an indicator? Our, our hotels now going to be be told, well, no, you know if you would have had a maid the maid coming in there, you know she would have probably noticed something. So now we're not going to let people refuse that. It, it's again, my heart goes out to this woman, and it's going to be an interesting series of cases because there's going to be a lot of life liability i will be watching the six minutes because i do think from a legal perspective it may 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 make a difference as to whether you know you knew there was a guy with an automatic weapon in this room six minutes before he started shooting as opposed to you knew it after he started shooting but time will tell it's eleven twenty-eight. this is jeff wagner it's eleven thirty. jeff wagner six twenty. 20 wtm i'm still getting a huge response to something we talked about as long as we're talking about las vegas um Yesterday, what what do you do with the thirty second floor at Mandalay Bay? I mean obviously I mean right now it continues to be this crime scene, but you know, you, you have all these rooms and you have these suites that are up there. I, I'll tell you, I just just as a matter of of taste, I don't think that you can I don't think you can rent anything on that thirty second floor. I, I think I think that's one where you just retrofit the elevator so you cannot go to that 32nd floor. And I, I don't know what Mandalay Bay does, but I mean, I just I because you know that there's going to be a whole number of looky loos who are going to want to be up there. And they're going to be wanting to rent the, the different you know rooms that are right by this and look out and get that view. I, I think um, I, I think if I'm Mandalay Bay for at least the foreseeable future, I just close down that 32nd floor. It's eleven thirty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. You, you just hate to see this story. You know, Gru, uh, who's producing the show today, and always. I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't see stories that make me. Just thank goodness that I, I, I don't have an addictive personality. I, I just and, and I, I, I enjoy stuff, including I, I've given up all sorts of bad habits in the course of my lifetime. Maybe more than most people have developed in the course of theirs. But I just I don't have this addictive personality. I know for people who do what what a struggle things can be, whether you're hooked on cigarettes or alcohol or drugs or gambling or eating or, or any of those different types of things, and, and I understand how, how tough it can be, and you always – uh, it, it's when, when we're talking about things, and, and every once in a while, if you're a regular listener to the show, somebody will come up, and maybe we'll be talking about an issue related to drugs or alcohol, and, and somebody will say, I, I'm a recovering addict or I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I'll always ask, you know, how how long, and, and they'll, they'll tell me, and I'll, I'll, I'll sincerely, congratulations, I know it's very tough, you know, and I, I know each day is a struggle. I, I appreciate that. Um, John Nigren, who's one of the good ones, um, he, he's a, a state representative out of, of Marinette, and, and he's, John's been on, on my program, he's been on other programs, he has been a, a, one of the leaders in, in the fight that we have in Wisconsin to try to um, pass laws that focus on, on heroin and opioid addiction in, in Wisconsin. And, and he's he's been very clear. I mean, part of of this. I mean, he has a very personal story because you know his daughter, um, you know, has been in a very public battle with with heroin, and and it's just, and this this happens to to kid. I mean, for, there's people out there that, that say, well, you know, if if the kids are druggy, that means mom and dad were awful. No, that that's not what that means. I mean, just stuff like this happens and you can have the best parents in the world, and you know you 've got a child who 's got this issue or that issue, and i, I mean I, I I know families like that and not necessarily talking about the the heroin or something like that, but I know families like that where the kids are raised right they, they are, but for what, whatever reasons you know, including maybe it's, you know, partly, you know, genetic or whatever, you know, they develop addictions. And it, it's not that mom and dad are are bad, it's just this is what happens. Well, anyhow, um, Mike was just talking about the story. Um, the uh, Representative Nigren's daughter, Cassandra, and I'm a little uncomfortable with this, but it's all over the media because typically we don't mention things until actually formal charges have been filed. But uh, apparently, according to WBAY, um, his daughter has been booked on multiple charges, including two counts of first-degree reckless homicide. Um, uh, let's see. A deliverer of drugs, manufacture or delivery of heroin, neglecting a child, maintaining a drug trafficking place. Um, very, very serious. Very, very serious stuff. Um, so um, 2015, she pled guilty to drug possession charge, was sentenced to probation, which was revoked in 2016. So this is... Um, it's it's just the type of story that no family ends up wanting to see, but um, it, it is it is out there, and it's it's very very unfortunate. And any any family who's ever been touched by by substance uh, abuse, and again, whether it's drugs or alcohol or gambling or whatever, you know, knows just that the problem. It, it, it's why when I was a drug prosecutor, I was just dr- death on drugs. I I, I was, and I, I'd always. I would be infuriated when people would come up and they would talk about this being a, a, oh, this is a victimless crime. Who cares if people are using heroin? Who cares if they're doing cocaine? Who cares if they're doing this or that? It, it, it's individuals' rights to do that. No, it, it, it's really not. And, and if you've ever looked at the impact that the that, that drugs have on a family, and seeing what it does, not just to the person who is the drug addict, but also to the family members and all. It, it's just, you, you, you understand, you know, you understand the, the impact of that. So you just hate to see this. Okay, let, let us let us switch gears. Last year, now, Gru, you were not producing the show last year. But last year, the topic du jour, the, the cultural topic that would not go away, was, was bathrooms. You know, w- bathrooms in school you know if you have that the transgender student who was, uh, if you had the transgender student who, who didn't feel comfortable, the boy who identified as a girl um, didn't feel comfortable in the boys' restroom or in the boys' locker room, even though he, she had, like, boy parts, should they be allowed to use the girls' restroom? That, that was the issue that dominated the scene, including the elections. This year, the, the cultural issue that is dominating the scenes is the national anthem stuff. Now, like I say, I think... I think this whole thing had jumped the shark. I think it was going away. Yeah, there were a handful of people who were still protesting, but I think it was all over until a couple of weeks ago, President Trump decided to inject himself into this, talking about how I'd fire the SOBs or, or whatever. And that then, again, politicized this, and everything ramped up. So then you had a lot of people who were protesting. And I don't know, you know, I, again, I don't know what a lot of these protests were aimed at, but I know what happened after the president decided to get involved in this is a lot of people said, okay, this is going to be this political statement, and we were, again, off to the races. Now you have the last controversy. You have Jerry Jones who's saying that, hey, um, my guys, you know, w- w- I want you to stand. I, I don't want this. You've got the Miami Dolphins owner who is saying, okay, no more protests on the sidelines. If you're not going to stand during the national anthem, just stay back in the tunnel. Just, just don't be on the sidelines. Um, now it, it's starting to take off. Roger Goodell, who is the commissioner of the NFL, and the owners of the NFL, I think are starting to realize that this this issue is hurting their business and You know, it's one thing to, okay, we want to stand with the players in the show of unity, but it's another thing when it starts hurting the bottom line, and and they are. So um, Roger Goodell, who had previously said that he thinks the players had a right to voice their opinions, is now coming out and saying, okay, well, I think enough is enough, and that I think everybody should stand for the national anthem. Um, here's what he said in a letter that was sent to owners yesterday. Like many of our fans, we believe that everyone should stand for the national um, anthem. He says, look, the league cares about issues the players are trying to highlight, including social injustice and police brutality. But the controversy over the anthem, this is Goodell writing, is a barrier to having honest conversations and making real progress on the underlying issues. So what he's saying is the owners have a meeting next week, and I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to implement a rule saying you've got to stand on, on the sidelines. Um, now, whether the Players Association will go along with that or how, how it plays out is, is yet to be decided. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. The owners now appear... appear to be willing to jump in and say, okay, this, this has gone on long enough, and they're ready to apparently make a rule which says, if you're on the sidelines during the national anthem, we want you to stand. No more of this kneeling stuff. No more of these protests. Are the owners and the NFL commissioner, whatever their motive may be, are they finally doing the right thing? Should they implement a rule? that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer, absolutely. And I think they should have done it last summer before this controversy was predictable. It was foreseeable. Maybe they didn't anticipate that the president was going to wade in on this and make it as political as it's become. But I think the NFL owner should have dealt with this last summer, Um, but still... Better late than never. 414 It's 1144. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 1147. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Your generosity has helped our WTMJ Cares Initiative raise hundreds of thousands of dollars in recent years for causes close to the heart of many in the community. Now you have a chance to help out children with emotional or physical needs who find therapy and healing on horseback. Rides and Rains Therapeutic Riding Center in the town of Polk is in danger of closing its doors without our help. Go to WTMJ.com for details and keep listening for more information on this remarkable cause and what you can do to help keep it alive through WTMJ Cares, sponsored by First Bank Financial Center. Let's talk to Dennis and Racine. Dennis, good morning.
10: Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, The way I look at this is... You know the horses are already out of the barn on this, and I, I think Roger Goodell should have been proactive from day one when the players were doing the shenanigans. I,
0: I would have done it last year. You, you after the Colin Kaepernick thing, if they would have done this during the summer, it would have been quiet. It would have just. It would have been maybe a half day story, and it would have been over. But they didn't, and now it's a huge cause celeb. Yep.
10: Yeah, it's kind of like you, you're one of your sayings. You know, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And being proactive, well, now if they implement rules, I guess if I'm a player, I would be asking, well, what's changed in the last, you know, three weeks, you know, where it's permissible three weeks ago, but now it's not. Right. And and then the other thing that, that bothers me from the owner's perspective is it's really about money more than honor. You know, they see that the business is suffering and sales are down and viewership. That's the reason that's driving this, rather than being patriotic.
0: Oh, yeah. No, right. There, there's no question. I mean, this is um, I, the NFL realizes that this is hurting them. They want to make it go away. <laughs> right.
10: Thank you, Jeff.
0: No, thanks. For the call. I mean, that, and, and so I, I understand that. But I guess at the same time, I don't, uh, you know, I don't have an issue, you know, with this. You know, I don't have an issue with this at at. At all, four one four Let's talk to uh, Taylor in Milwaukee. Taylor on 620 WTMJ.
8: Good morning, Jeff. Thank you very much for your yes, the call. A lot of great points by the previous caller that I wanted to hit on. I think that this is a very, very bad move, and I think this is a little bit of a spark right next to a keg. I think if you Im- implement a rule saying that these players have to stand violating their constitutional rights, Just wait until all the black players decide to take a knee during the National Anthem. What do you do then? Mm -hmm.
0: So what do you...
8: They are almost 80% of the league. Right. But you will have no games at all. And believe me, this is only the beginning. The NBA players are already gearing to doing something like this this season. Now, there are those of your audience I know who listen and say, nobody watches the NBA. It is the third most popular, most watched sport in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So then the world is going to see that that this in private institution is trying to silence the voice of black people. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think that they the should just
0: let it, this, do you think they just, for the NFL's perspective, you just kind of, you, you let this go on and drag out and be the controversy day after day, week after week?
8: I think you, you let it drag out, you start some sort of dialogue, and then you just let it play out slowly and slowly and it'll go away. Yeah. You can't just like cut it off. You just can't nip it off right then. It'll it'll become a bigger, bigger problem than you can imagine. Because
0: you, you're, you. you're what, okay. Thanks, Scott. So what, what you're saying, and I, I get it. It's, it and th- this is the issue they face. So let's say that you impose a rule saying that you have to stand for the national anthem, and then you have Martellus Bennett or Michael Bennett or, or whoever decides that they're not going to follow that rule on the sidelines so your question would be what what do you do with them at that point in time do you do you find them $25,000 do you find them $50,000 do you suspend them do you bench them how do you enforce a rule like this it's not like you can say hey you know you were celebrating in the end zone afterwards and so now you're gonna have a 15-yard penalty to, to me this is why I, I say too little too late I think I think it is within their rights to say we have a code of conduct, and, you know, when you're on, we're not telling you what you do on a Tuesday afternoon when it's your own time, but I think they're within their rights to say we've got a code of conduct, and that part of that code of conduct is when you are in uniform on our sidelines, this is the way you behave. Which is why, if they would have imposed a rule last summer at their owners' meetings or whatever, it wouldn't have been so controversial. Now it does tie into what Taylor's saying, but at the same time, I don't think I think they have every right to impose a rule like this. And again, I, I think it might be too little, too late. But I think it's the the right thing to do. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jake in Caledonia. Jake, good morning.
7: Hey, Jeff. I think it's never too late to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I agree they should have done this last year. He sat on his hands, uh, Roger Dill. And I said last year I would not watch any more games till they made this a rule. If they make this a rule, yeah, i like to start watching Packer games again. Um, I think this turned off a lot of people in the audience. And I think slowly but surely uh, people will tune back in. You know, time heals all wounds, Look at Brett Farms. far
0: yeah, yeah, good, yeah, 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 good point. And I think that that's why, in some respects, I, I think the owners didn't want to take this on. They thought this whole thing was going to go away o- over time. And then, I mean, it just it heated up again when the president decided to um, say what the president did without arguing about whether he should have got involved in this. Then it made it really, really political. But you think next week, next week they should take this on head on and say, okay, stand during the national anthem or don't be on the sidelines. Yeah,
7: if they don't do that, they're just gonna. Their ratings are going to continue to tank. Uh, right. They have to, right? No, thanks, know, there's, no, there's going to be some backlash. There'll be backlash, but they got to make that right, right decision.
0: Yeah, no thanks. And and that would be it. I mean, I actually like what the the owner of the Dolphins said, and in his position was: I think we should stand during the national anthem. You know, forget it, if you want to lock arms, that's okay. I don't have a, a, an issue with that. But if if but no no visible protests. You stand during the National Anthem or you stay in the tunnel. If you know, then just just do this out of sight. But I'm not going to allow you to use your employment situation, the the venue that I provide you, the workplace that I provide you. I'm not going to let you use that to stage your political protests. That's how I break this all down. And, And that's candidly it's what i think the owner should have done a while ago it is 11:54. i'm sorry jam phone lines but we're kind of up against the clock scafidi and bill stat are in next we'll find out what they've got on their minds stick around